And hello, welcome to Consistently Mediocre. It's an Atlanta sports podcast. My name is Ryan Aiken. My friend here joining me is Alan Perry. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. This is our first podcast that we have ever done, but honestly, we've been waiting for years now to start something like this, but Atlanta just kept letting us down. And now George is in the national championship game, so we figured what better time to start an Atlanta sports podcast right before they let us down again. Yeah, all we had to do is take a a seven-year hiatus from the last time we did it back in college. I know. We had a a freshman uh, college (laughs) radio show that was clearly well-produced, and we were extremely professional in that show, and now we're just bringing that seven years later back to the podcast format. Um, So this is going to be interesting, and we're excited to start it. It's really just going to be for fun, but um, we hope you kind of enjoy listening to it. If you don't know us, obviously, um, unless you're one of our parents or friends listening to this, then you don't know us. Uh, This is really going to be a podcast about two people who just love Atlanta sports, have grown up watching them, and have grown up living off the highs and lows of everything that Atlanta sports can give you, which if you live in Atlanta or you're a sports fan, then you understand that uh, we haven't had a ton of success. And if we, the sex, wow, success we do have, let me just start that off. Uh, success we do have is going to be determined a lot by how much we fail. So for instance, the Hawks finally made to the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago. We get swept by the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's kind of the thing we're used to in Atlanta. We're just kind of kind of put this in podcast format so we can talk to you guys and share our disappointment together. Yeah, disappointment as an Atlanta fan is kind of a recurring theme. Uh, like you like you mentioned, the Hawks, 60-22, and 22, get swept. Uh, Falcons, we don't even really need to talk about the Super Bowl last year because I think Gosh, that no. might have been the worst loss in sports history, and we had to both go through it. Together, yeah. um, I'm still going through it. Still, still recovering. Um, having a hard time watching ESPN because they, for some reason, still enjoy bringing that up every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this yeah, is a recurring theme. Uh, Atlanta sports letting us down. UGA, uh, Kirby Smart's second season. Hoping this one doesn't end in a letdown. Um, Gosh. Speaking of which, you want to talk about the bowl games? I absolutely want to talk about the bowl games. I mean, it, listen. I know that we're joking about doing this podcast right before the national championship so we can do it before we get let down again, but Kirby Smart in year two has been so different than, than anything I've experienced as a sports fan to the point where I almost don't know what to do with myself. I mean, that Rose Bowl game was one where I called you right afterwards, and I, I literally didn't know how to feel. He screamed. It was, I did. I screamed a lot. All I could yell was, we did it, because I didn't know what else to yell or – well, I knew what else to yell, but I also had my little sister in the room, so I probably wasn't going to yell those things. So, Fair. PG. <laughs> exactly, trying to. But it's 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 an unbelievable feeling. I mean, obviously, we've never been the national championship game in our lifetime. Um, it's the first SEC champions we've been since, what, 2005, so 12 years ago. Uh, it's just been an incredible season. We have the number one recruiting class in the nation right now, only continuing to get better. We have the number one recruiting class in 2019 as well. It's even worked its way into basketball, where Georgia has the number one recruiting class in 2019 for basketball. So it's a weird time to be a Georgia fan. And, and as an Atlanta sports fan, if you can't tell by our, our title, Consistently Mediocre, we are very used to success, but on a limited level, one in which we're not going to get too high about, well, we did good, but we're not actually going to win the whole thing. Now we have a chance to win the whole thing, and I don't know how to feel about that. Well, you know, going back to that the Georgia-Oklahoma game, you know, as an Atlanta fan and a, and a UGA fan, that's the type of game that we typically find a way to lose. So it's very... It's very different. Uh, you know, you've got a close game with a lot of ups and ups and downs, a lot of highs and lows back and forth. You know, the Heisman Trophy winner on the other side of the ball. Uh, you know, that's the typical 
game that we would find a way to lose. And and when you know Sony Michelle had that fumble, I really thought that was the you know spelling out our doom in that game. And I think you know back when you know the Mark Rick teams just felt so much different. These this team feels like it has so much more swagger, so much more confidence. And at the same time, it also feels like it's you know almost in control of its emotions at the same time where they, you know they were they had some bad breaks and then they just did not let it get to them they just kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting and that was just an incredible thing to watch uh like i said coming from the perspective typically in the past where that's just not the makeup of our team or you know we let we let these breaks these bad breaks uh you know in things for us and it was just incredible to watch no, I completely agree. I mean, I think the thing that surprised me the most, more than even after we recovered from the fumble and everything that happened in the fourth quarter, because I think we we kind of found our feet by then, so our offense and defense at least felt somewhat competent by that point in the second half. I think the thing that surprised me the most, because I texted you this at halftime, uh, I would have been shocked going into halftime, even after that field goal, where we got the field goal with the 55-yarder Rose Bowl record by Rodrigo Blake, great field goal kick. I'd be shocked after that we came back. And, you know, I think that's that's the surprising thing for me is that uh, the way our defense looked in that first half, I, it was just amazing to me. I didn't anticipate any of us coming back in that game. Um, and yet how the adjustments that Kirby Smart, that Mel Tucker made, that the defense made on their own to um, really attack the offense in a new way, to put more pressure on Baker, to um, go man-to-man in coverage to where they're not trying to play zone anymore and all of a sudden Baker doesn't have anywhere to throw it it, it just blew my mind I've never seen a team look that bad in one half and then a defense be that good in the second half yeah I mean you know one of the things that I noticed going like what you're talking about with the defense in the second half there were and I, I you know I'm going to butcher the actual number but there were multiple times uh where uh, towards the end of the game where we needed to stop and it was maybe you know a third and two or a third and three or one or something third and short essentially and where I'm like, there's no way Oklahoma doesn't get this. They have too many weapons. Baker Mayfield can make too many plays. We haven't been able to stop their running back, Rodney Anderson, all day. And you know, by, you know, whatever, whoever made the play, every single time somebody made a play. And, I mean, I know a lot of times it was Roquan Smith coming up and just stuffing someone, you know, a yard or two before they get there. But it just blew my mind that we were able to step up to that level, stop them on third and short when in the first half we're getting manhandled on – more or less every play. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a totally different team in the second half. And even after we had, like I said, those bad breaks, uh, they didn't you know they didn't keep us down for too long. Yeah, I mean it really was. It was a total shift in an emotion and momentum and everything that the game um, that I've just never seen before. I've never seen a game shift from looking like that in the first half to to the way we dominated in the second half. I mean, if you think about it, they had 31 points going into halftime. Um, they finished with 48. Three of those came in overtime, and seven of those came because uh, of a fumble by Sony Michelle right, in the fourth. Right on the turnover. So I mean, you're looking at it. We allowed essentially seven points in regulation the entire second half uh, after giving up 31 in the first half. I, like that's about as ridiculous as of a momentum shift as you can get in a football game on that level, especially in college where guys aren't as accustomed to um, making quick adjustments and to having to change their plan on the fly like that. Uh, it was just something I didn't expect. I mean, and it sounds hilarious, but it, the squib kick really got us started right before <laughs> I halftime. Was, I was just about to say that. I was I was still wondering why they did that. Because, I mean, it, 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 if you're going to do a squib kick, at least don't give it straight to somebody. I mean, the only way we're scoring a field goal there is if somehow we get the ball on our own 40-yard line. 
which is exactly what they did. I mean, they just yeah. gave us field position for no with way too much time on. I mean, we had enough time to get like a 20-yard pass, put us in field goal range. Is exactly what happened. And I mean, ultimately, that cost them the game. I mean, there's no if we're down 10 at the end of that game, we're not going to overtime. Uh, no. So right. I mean, I think that was an extremely poor decision on their end. Um, well, and, and the funny thing is, if you're a Georgia fan, you understand that squib kicks are never a good idea. If you remember, I think it was two years ago, oh, no. um, we're playing Georgia Tech, and uh, we had to kick a squib kick. Mark Rick decided we're up by three, you know, with only a few seconds left in the game. Mark Rick decides to kick the squib, and Georgia Tech gets it and ends up doing the exact same thing we did and kicks a long field goal to tie the game, send it in overtime, and we lose. Uh, I, I mean, if you weren't feeling a little bit of redemption from this Oklahoma game because of that, it's again, it's just different styles, right? Like Mark Rick chooses to do that. We lose that Georgia Tech game. Kirby Smart is in, on the receiving end of that mistake this time around. It, you know, I don't want to say that uh, Kirby is that much more of a, an incredible coach than Mark because I have all the respect in the world for Coach Rick. Uh, but it just the, the team just feels different. They feel like they're a better able to make adjustments. They they feel like they're better able to. Um, withstand runs and with the exception of that first Auburn game really believe that they can be anybody in the country and that's just a different feeling as a fan for sure yeah the feeling the main takeaway that I I came away with as well was that at no point during that game did it feel like to me that Georgia felt like they were out of it uh, even in the first half it just everybody was still giving 110 percent the defense was still fighting clawing and doing the best that they could there was it just didn't seem like they got disheartened at any point which is extremely I mean that's just a totally different vibe to be getting from this team if you've watched them over the past few years because typically and you can correct me if I'm wrong Ryan but when me and you watch Georgia games as soon as we go down by x amount of points you'll text me and be like oh oh it's over and it's over 99 percent of the time you've been correct on that and this was one of the very you know rare exception games where we go down by 14 and we're actually able to fight you know scrap and claw our way back into it and yeah I, I just you know the thing about the squib kick um, to me, and I'm not a coach, but you know, if I were, the way I would look at things is that if a team is going to score on me, I want to make them earn it. So if they're going to return sure. the kick, good for them. But I'm not going to just give them 30 yards right off the bat. You know, and I want to make them actually earn it and get through all 11 of my defenders to get to the end zone. But anyway. well, I mean, to give us the ball in midfield, I only I realized there's only I think six seconds left, maybe five by the time we covered the squib kick. Um, so maybe they didn't think we had any time to really do anything but put up a Hail Mary. But even still, one, the kick was a mistake. It wasn't supposed to end up at the 50-yard line. He kicked it right at Tay Crowder, who right. ended up making the catch at midfield, which was a brilliant catch by him. But, you know, even beyond that, you could have kicked it out of bounds and it would have been at the 35 oh, of true. our own. Like, I mean, you could do anything other than what they did. And I realize Miko Hardman's a dangerous kick returner, but he hasn't had a kick return for a touchdown all year. So, like, I, I don't really understand the logic in being that terrified, when, especially when you're up three possessions already. You have some wiggle room to make a mistake, and you just choose to go the, the worst route. It was like you just kind of chickened out, and you're like, I, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to kick it you know, right to them and hope that nothing good happens. It's just, I don't know, it, they, they stopped being aggressive is what it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, and that cost them with momentum. Because I'll be honest, you said there was never a time when you felt like we were out of it. After that touchdown, because if you kind of remember how that touchdown happened late in the first half, uh, when when Baker ended up catching the touchdown, which was a crazy play and one that was frustrating because I thought we had it stopped and I didn't see Baker in the corner of the end zone on TV. Right, right. But I think the thing that was frustrating about that is there was about three different timeouts by both teams throughout the course of that possession. It was first a goal, there was a timeout, second a goal, play happens, there's a timeout. And, and it's just, it felt like this build, big buildup 
to can they hold them to a field goal and two possession game going into halftime or will Oklahoma increase it to a 17 point lead and it felt like whoever won that battle was really going to carry all the momentum into halftime and Oklahoma won that battle and so I was really down at that point I'm like man 31-14 we haven't been able to stop their offense all game now we got to make up a three possession lead and they get the ball to start the second half but that field goal, I mean, not only was it a Rose Bowl record, so it really kind of gave him a boost because of the distance. It was just something that I think was so unexpected and put the game back into a two-possession game. So all Georgia had to do was score one touchdown. All of a sudden, you're looking at a seven-point game. I, I think it just gave the whole team hope. And it, it probably would have been a much dire situation in the locker room and a much more desperate situation if it was 17 instead of 14, which sounds weird. But I just think it just it, it changed mentally the game for us. No, it, it does sound weird thinking that three points and a weird kind of wonky play, you know, or series of plays at the end of the game can make that much of a difference. But, you know, I just it just to me and I'm sure to to Georgia it looked the same way. That just looked like a mistake. Like it just looked like. You know, Oklahoma started all of a sudden for some reason started playing, you know, almost like not to lose instead of trying to like, you know, keep their foot on the pedal and, and, and keep trying to, you know, keep playing to win. To me, that feels like a not to lose move. And, you know, I don't know that for what, you know, I don't know what Kirby said in the locker room, but coupled with the three points, I mean, that was the, the we came out of the second half, just guns blazing. And I don't know, that was, was well, they, they changed their offensive philosophy in the second half. We have to understand that that for right, some reason, right. and I think we maybe it helps set us up. Ironically, uh, that the fact that we passed so much in the first half, I think it did help set up some of the runs we had in the second half. But I think they went into halftime, and, and Kirby and Jim Chaney, our offensive coordinator, kind of had to look at each other and go, "Okay, we're averaging." At, at one point, I think we were averaging like 19 yards a carry or something with with Chubb and Michelle. Michelle had a 75 yard run mm -hmm. in the first half. And I think they had to look at each other and go, they can't stop the run. They cannot stop us when we're running it. Why are we passing it so much? And and you look at it the first time we get the ball to start off the second half. Um, not only is the defense playing better, but they're calling plays smarter offensively as well, which allowed us to maintain more consistency. Chubb has that, I think, 55-yard run um, to start off the, the second half, which puts us within seven. Um, and then everybody's just running wild. You know, it, it, was, it was really a Chubb and Michelle game. I mean, I can't say enough about those two running backs. This is what they came back. For their senior year, um, they could have both been in the NFL right now, but instead they're playing um, it, it just incredible. I mean, everybody talked about how Georgia had so many running backs. I know they're going to use DeAndre Swift, and Swift was one of the heroes of the Auburn game, but he honestly uh, didn't he play stuffed. very well. Yeah, and, and well. a couple of the carries. Yeah, a couple of the carries he had. I remember there was ran a third into his blockers. Short. He ran into Andrew Thomas, our right tackle, and you know when he had a chance for a first down, instead tried to cut it back outside. And, uh, and instead, you know, he doesn't get the first down. So I think after that, Jim probably looked at DeAndre and was like, all right, that, that's a freshman mistake. I got to leave uh, Sony and Nick in there. And they really stuck with him and rode him the whole way. And, man, I, I've just never seen a running back performance like that. I understand that people are going to say, well, Oklahoma's defense is, is bad and they've been bad all year. But to do that on that stage and that amount of pressure – uh, I mean, it, it's just everything that college football is about. It's exactly what they came back for. So I, I couldn't have been more proud of those two players for sure. Yeah, a couple things to that. Uh, first of all, yeah, when Swift, uh, he, I, I'm pretty sure you're talking about the same play I'm talking about, where it's like third and maybe three or four, and he's yeah. got the hole and for some reason decides to cut it outside and hits his lineman when he had yeah. the first down. Yeah, yep. that was That's extremely, extremely frustrating. Well, it looked like he, he looked like he thought – 
okay, well, I'm going to try and make this big play. And I'm, you know, they've been yep. running it to be fair. They've been running all over Oklahoma all game. So DeAndre's probably looking for the big play. But right. at that point, when it's third down as a freshman, you have to understand that I just need to get to the next play. I just need to set us up for first down mm-hmm. instead of creating a, thir- a fourth and inches situation. And, and, you know, instead he tries to cut back outside when there really wasn't that hole. And, and I think he, he kind of freaked in that moment, but it, it's okay. You know, I mean, it ended up working out for us. Um, and I think he'll probably be used a little bit more against Alabama in that sense. But, uh, but yeah, we just we decided after that point to really just stick with Sony and Nick, and hey, they didn't they didn't let us down. Yeah, ride the horses you rode in on. Um, no doubt. Yeah, one. This is kind of one that I thought was kind of funny that I wanted to tell you earlier. So I was watching the game with Drew, which is my roommate. In case anybody doesn't know, um, and so I'm trying to explain to him, like he, he's he's talking about Michelle and Chubb both being really good. Yes, so, which they we are. We should probably tell you, Drew is not the biggest sports fan. <laughs> we're, we're yeah. Go ahead and say well, that. after this game, he told me he, he he actually confessed to me. He goes, "You know what? I actually think I really like football. Do you want to watch the Falcons playoff game together?" I was like, "Yeah." yeah. Um, that. Georgia's not just creating Georgia fans; they're creating <laughs> football fans. Um, but so I'm, I'm I'm explaining to him. Well, it's when Michelle breaks that huge run, whatever you said, 75 yard touchdown run, whatever it is, and he almost gets caught a couple times, but doesn't. And so I made a comment to him. I was like, if that was Chubb, I think he gets caught because Michelle's just got more straight line speed to me. Chubb's a little bit yeah. bigger. So at, later on in the game, Chubb breaks a huge run, and he's he's huffing and puffing, and lo and behold, gets dragged down by a couple guys behind. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Drew, that's what I was talking about right there. Michelle's just a little bit faster in a straight line. Just um, a little bit. But, man, I mean, that 50-yard run Chubb had to start off the second half. I mean, he had there was a picture I saw where he had three guys wrapped around him, and they said this was at the 44-yard line, and it was a touchdown. Like, it's just incredible the amount of strength mm-hmm. he has. And the dynamics between Chubb and Michelle, I, I don't think people really realize how tough that is as a defense to adjust to that when all of a sudden you're looking at the speed of Michelle and comparing that to the strength of Chubb. It's just such different styles, and both are strong and both are fast. Right. But to try and adjust to that on the fly and realize how you're going to try and tackle a running back, uh, I, you know, if Sony is in that position, he may go down, but it was Chubb, and, and he just was mm-hmm. able to break free for the score. So, um they're just the perfect complement to each other. I love the fact that they're best friends. I love the fact that this is their senior year and they're doing it together. And I felt so good for them. I felt so good for Sony after the fumble in the order to come back uh, in double overtime to run that touchdown in off the wild dog. Two which, for two on the know, wild dog. My gosh, you know, it's listen, the wild cat, wild dog, whatever you want to call it, never been a, a, a huge scheme I'm, I'm a fan of, but it certainly worked for Georgia this year. Chubb's run it a couple times for touchdowns now. Um, and it's it's been something that clearly Cheney sees an advantage in with our offensive line and loves how we block for it. But uh, I just felt good for the team because I remember in the first overtime, I don't know if you saw this on TV, but there was uh, at one point we were uh, we just kicked the field goal. We got the ball first to start off the overtime, and Baker's getting the ball with the chance to score the touchdown and win the game in the first overtime. And they show Nick and Sony side by side, and they're just so disappointed because they know they gave the Heisman Trophy winner a chance to end their careers. Mm-hmm. I just felt for him so much in that moment. I was like, man, guys, please just defense get a stop so they can finish this the way they should finish this. And um, thankfully, our defense had been more than up to the task in the second half and in overtime as well, only allowing three points and. I mean, to allow three points in two different drives from inside the, or from, from the 25-yard line um, when you have the Heisman Trophy winner, I mean, that's as impressive as it gets for a defense that really needed to step up. And it sounds weird for a team that gave up 48 points, 41 of them defensively. But just to do that on that stage and really just to set themselves up um, to give the offense a chance, I'm just so impressed by everyone involved in that game for sure. Well, I mean, our defense played their, their absolute best when it absolutely mattered the most. 
And I mean, you know, and I, I, back to back to the running backs, then we'll get off of them just because I mean they're incredible. We can talk about them all day. Yeah, there's but, only so much you can say. You know, I mean, yeah. just think about think about if you're on defense and you're having to tackle those two guys for 60 minutes. I mean, yeah. it's just I mean, it's a matter of time before you just get worn out. And when you see Nick Chubb running at you at full speed, you just I feel like you've just gotta want to not you know at some point you don't want to hit that guy anymore. <laughs> for sure. I mean, and that's that's what Georgia's prided themselves on really. Uh, ever since you know their freshman year when Chubb, I remember they came in first in that that Clemson game, and we ended up wearing Clemson down and wearing them out. Mm -hmm. Chubb and Michelle, their entire careers have been able to pride themselves on wearing teams down. So by the time they get to the fourth quarter, they're able to break off those big runs because defense is just tired and they're tired of hitting them. Yep, um, yep. which I think is huge. Uh, and Georgia's offensive line obviously really stepped up this year after being a weakness last year. And we haven't even talked about Jake Fromm at all, the true freshman quarterback. That's what I was I mean, well, <laughs> I beat you to it. I beat you to it. I was about to say that. And I was going to start off with that uh, that attempted like pitch thing that he threw and almost, you know what I'm talking about? The worst play he made yeah, all game. I'll, I'll, yeah, let's, let's talk about the true first true freshman in history start talking by the worst play he made in the game the, the most freshman admit, play of all of the whole game oh listen it was I, listen i will admit that scared the living daylights out of me and it was before sony's fumble so mm -hmm. we hadn't really had a turnover at that point in the game i'm just thinking really jake that's how you're gonna give this game away you're gonna fumble it right there because I, I didn't really realize it was an incomplete pass at first the way he threw it i was like oh, i thought i was getting picked off i mean it I, just i thought it was a pick off or like maybe his arm got hit as he was trying to throw it i didn't know what happened immediately and then when they showed the replay i was like okay that's clearly <laughs> the eye test pass. the play looked terrible <laughs> well, it, well the, 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 i mean eye test and schematic they're yeah. gonna go back and film and, and kirby is gonna chew jake's ear off for that because there's no chance of that ball being completed no. and i realized he saw he probably saw miko in the area i did see him on the replay right, right but all it takes is for one defender to be one step closer and just intercept that pass as it's in the air because it wasn't anywhere close to miko which is why the intentional grounding call happened but it's just i mean yeah not his not his brightest moment um but honestly, it, coming in between a lot of moments that were just incredible. I, I'll say this about Jake. That last drive when we needed to tie the game uh, with, uh, you know, we finished it, the drive off with under a minute to go. The most impressive drive I've seen from him all year. And not just because of the stakes, like just the way he played. I mean, that one play where he avoided the tackle. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I remember his last name was Ward on Oklahoma, where he missed him completely. And then Jake was able to move up in the oh, pocket. Oh, just sidestepped him, that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, you uh, that that's a that's a guy that looks like a senior that feels comfortable in the pocket that knows his his surroundings that's aware enough to look for his playmakers after he avoids the first sack and because oftentimes you'll see freshman quarterbacks like that if they have a lot of pressure they're just going to tuck it and run and mm -hmm. just you know doesn't matter and and Jake had one or two of those plays but for the most part he's able to keep his eyes downfield he's able to to maintain his surroundings and awareness and and understand that oh Sony Michelle's right there let's get twenty yards because I'm just going to pitch it to him and it's an easy twenty yard gain. Um, and then on the third and 10 as well, I mean, finding Terry Godwin in the middle of the field when he'd really attacked the outside of the, the field all game long. Yep. Um, I, I, just a couple of amazing plays that, man, I was truly, truly impressed and, and probably the most impressed I've been with him all year. And of course I've ever, I've watched every single Georgia game very closely and just to come up big in that moment, um, very impressed by the way the true freshman played and, and he more than deserves, uh, to be in this position right now. Yeah, I think I think the the biggest takeaway for me watching Fromm is that the moment did not seem too big for him at any point during the game, and no. I I mean, you know, well, that's what everybody said all year. Yeah, I mean, he just he didn't seem like any of the pressure got to him. I mean, he made a couple yeah. throws that weren't great, but they you know he never really made any decisions throughout the game where he it looked like he was panicking except for that one little wonky 
backhand whatever thing, that whatever was. That was yeah. the, there's there's no name for that. The That's play should not play. be named. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, they're in the first part of the game. There were a lot of throws he was making where it's almost taken me like it's like I still almost it's not that I don't trust him, but there's still some throws he makes where I watch the ball come out and it looks like. It's just coming out really slow, and I'm like, oh no, there's gonna. But, but well, what turns, what, what ends up happening is just like, you know, they'll show the replay, and it's just that he was having to kind of, you know, throw it over a linebacker and put it into a little pocket. So it's like it's, you know, it still yeah. takes me a little bit of of effort to trust some of the throws that come out sometimes. But as an overwhelming majority, he just, I mean, he's just fantastic. Well, I've thought that too, and I think you know that's one of the reasons that. Um, people like Jake Fromm don't get immediately recognized as the stars they may become. Um, but part of that is because I, I feel like he's got a little bit of Drew Brees in him in the sense mm. of not, I'm not saying he's going to turn into Drew Brees. And I know Jim Chaney coached Drew Brees in college. Um, so the parallels are there, but just Jake being a shorter guy, the measurables mm. aren't there. He doesn't have the rocket arm that right. uh, Aaron Rodgers or even a, a Jacob Eason, George's backup right. has. Um, and, and so to be able to, to make the throws that he does, maybe he does require a little more. Maybe it shows there's a little more effort, but he consistently makes the throws. Oh, I think absolutely. that's the thing. I mean, Drew Brees has turned into one of the most uh, feared quarterbacks in the NFL, not because he's got the rocket armors throwing 70-yard bombs like a Mike Vick or someone like that, but because he just consistently makes plays, and it seems like every time he drops back, he's finding someone for a first down. And that's the way I feel like Jake Fromm is, is kind mm -hmm. of getting to, or could be. That's his obviously his ceiling, his topmost ceiling, because Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But to have that kind of awareness around you, to be able to read the defenses like he does at a young age, um, I think really just shows you that, hey, this kid, yeah, maybe he doesn't look the part all the time, but he's got the intangibles. Everybody talks about how much of a leader he is, how much everybody loves playing with him. He loves to play the game, and he just knows what he's doing, and he knows how to, to make plays within the pocket. And so, you know, I, I've, I've thought the same thing you have, and especially early in the year, there's a lot of throws. I'm just like, man, I, I don't, I don't, does he have the, the tools to really get us to where we need to go? Should we give Jacob Eason another shot? But the more I watch him, the more I'm just like, maybe he is Drew Brees. Maybe that's his game. Maybe he's just, he's good at making plays when they need to be made. He's good at making the easy throws look easy and completing them for yardage. I mean, there were a couple throws that are they're just simple button hooks. I think one to Wims and one to Godwin, and they turn into 20 yard passes because he's just accurate with them and timing is right. And all of a sudden, um, the guys be able to beat their first man and run downfield. So, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. And I, I'm glad you brought up that point. But I think um, the more I watch him, the more it's hard to say it's a fluke where he's at. Yeah, I think I think the most impressive throw he made uh, in the entire game to me was uh, one of the ones to uh, Javon Wims in the end zone. It was yeah. over over the middle where uh, I mean, if he he put it in a pocket that he had no room for error on, it was just sure. out of the defender's reach, just enough so that he could get a hand on it. I mean, and that that throw was just perfect. Yeah. Um, and it really, I don't think he even threw. I don't think he completed a deep ball game. I know he didn't throw that many, but he didn't need to. Like you were saying, that's not that didn't have to be his game for him to be successful. It's not his game. I mean, and to be honest, it's not really our wide receivers' game either. I mean, maybe outside of Terry Godwin, maybe Miko, but we're not a deep ball throwing team really. Um, we may have to do that a little bit more against Alabama to try and stretch their defense next week. But um, against a team like Oklahoma, who doesn't have the greatest secondary, um, you're going to take the easy passes when you can. You know, Javon Wims isn't necessarily a a deep threat to go 50 yards and try and outrun the defense. That's not his game. He's a possession receiver. He's going to outmuscle you and, and catch the uh, ball at the high point, and he's going to be able to come down with it every time. So, and Terry Godwin the same way. We have a lot of good possession receivers. Miko Hardman, you get the ball in his hands, he can run with it, but he's not necessarily going to be able to. I haven't seen him yet really blow by too many guys in the open field. He had one against Notre Dame that he actually dropped, and he's gotten progressively better throughout the mm -hmm. year. But we that's just not really our game is to look for the deep ball. I think 
Brom had one against Godwin or two Godwin and Van, against Vanderbilt. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, maybe that's where we see progression made. And next year as a sophomore year, we're able to stretch the field with him as he gets more command of the offense. Cheney maybe trusts him a little to go downfield and not make mistakes in that regard. Right. But, um, you know, when you can make the easy passes every time, when you, when you complete, you know, however many he's completed, I, he's, I know his completion percentage is around 64, 65%, but who knows what it is in between, you know, 10 yards, five, 10 yards, probably better. It, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier for the game when quarterbacks have to at least be aware that there's that potential. So, um, is there anything else that, that we need to discuss about this Georgia game? I mean, obviously it's one that the Georgia fans are going to be talking about for, for years to come. And there's probably a lot that we haven't gotten to a lot of, you know, Lorenzo Carter's block field goal, which was an incredible play in overtime and really gave us all the yep. momentum to win the game. Um, you know, just the way all the Dominic Sanders, his senior interception in this role. I mean, the seniors just stepped up. Um, I'm so proud to be a Georgia fan. So proud to have won this game. Um, but is there anything else we need to discuss or kind of break down? Yeah. One thing actually that just crossed my mind. Okay. Um, Justin Bourne. Yes. Another friend from college. Right. Sent me. He got a tattoo of the of Georgia and roses on his butt cheek. After the game or before? After. <laughs> that sounds like one of those uh, impulse <laughs> tattoos that we're all so fond of. Yeah, he sent me a picture of it last night. I was like, oh, I hope that's not you. He goes, no, it is. <laughs> anyway, yeah. now, now that we are 29 minutes into a 30-minute podcast and we've only talked about UGA... <laughs> Well, hey, it's the first one. We had to introduce yeah. ourselves. It's okay if we go a bit longer. We're going to try and keep these podcasts a little bit shorter, um, especially since nobody knows who we are. So we figure you're not going to want to listen to us on end for like hours. But um, we one do want to talk in depth and, and yeah, maybe one day. Uh, but we do want to be able to talk in depth and, and really give you a feel for how much we love these teams and how long we've been following them. Um, so we're going to try and give you a little bit of a breakdown on the state of Atlanta right now. Um, in sports and how we kind of view it outside of the Georgia Bulldogs, obviously, because they're in the best position to win a championship currently since playing in one on Monday. But outside of them, um, let's just kind of run through the teams that we love. Um, we have the Falcons, we have the Braves, we have the Hawks, and I'm going to throw Atlanta United in there. I know you didn't follow them quite as much as I have um, this year, but that's that's fair. But they're, they're becoming the story of Atlanta this year, honestly, or this past, we're in 2018 now. So 2017, they were the story. And um, it, I just want to really be able to break those teams down and kind of get a feel for personal feelings on how these teams are looking uh, as far as championship runs, how soon they can make those, and you know, kind of where they look right now. So let's start off with the Falcons. They have a playoff game on Saturday, Los Angeles Rams. Um, they had to beat the Carolina Panthers at home, and it was nice to really see they did that fairly easily. Uh, I'm not sure how much effort game plan Carolina put into that. Cam Newton looked just absolutely awful. Not that he throws that well to begin with. Uh, shout out Scan Newton. Um, Fair as well. But it was nice to see us finish the season on a positive note. And to be honest, if we had to play a, a first-round playoff game, we didn't get one of the buys, I'd much rather play the Rams than I would the Panthers or the Saints and have to play a division rival on the road. Um, I think it's an easier environment. How do you feeling about the Falcons and their 10-6 and record going into the playoffs right now? Well... The problem with the Falcons all season for me is, and there was a period about midway through where I checked out for a few games. Uh, you know, it, it's it's my expectations coming into this season. Obviously, we're at an all-time well. I say they're at an all-time high, also pretty low at the same time, just because of the how last season ended. So I didn't really know what to expect. But it's just hard to watch a team. It's hard to watch a team that was so good last year and really didn't lose anybody personnel-wise 
um, you know, coming into this season, just not look like the same team was just kind of painful. Um, and, I mean, if we're going into the playoffs, if we're going to be playing any of the NFC teams, I'd want it to be the Rams because I don't think Jared Goff is very good. I know he put up some fantasy numbers, but, you know, he's probably the, probably the worst quarterback in the NFC that I can think of this in the playoffs off the top of my head. Uh, you know, we're he's, going. I mean, he's he's had a pretty good year this year, but I I mean, well, just right, does off he scare you? Year, he scares me more than a Case Keenum or Nick Foles. Vikings. I mean, once Carson Wentz went down. Well, we're sorry, I was still considering with... Carson Wentz as the Eagles quarterback, but I, I see what you're saying. I know he's yeah. hurt, but um, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's got to be we... got to be him or Case Keenum, right? This scares you the least. Yeah, out of the, well, out of the quarterbacks we could have played, which was. Uh, which was Cam Newton, which was Drew Brees, or which was Jared Goff, I would have rather played Jared Right. Yes. And, you know, we're going to, throughout the entire playoffs, we're going to be in an uphill battle because we're on the road the entire time. Um, True. But, you know, going to L.A. for the Rams is... As opposed to New Orleans as, or Carolina? Exactly. I was going to say that is easily the, my favorite environment I'd like to travel to. The weather's going to be good, which favors us as well. I mean, we're not a good, like, on-the-road, cold-weather team. Um, you know... I feel like that's probably the best away game we could possibly have. So I actually do really like us in this matchup. Um, I like the Rams too. I mean, I mean, obviously they've had a really good season. They had a great, great turnaround season compared to their past few years. But um, you know, again, I'm just not super high on Jared Goff. It's a favorable environment if we're on a road game. A favorable location if we're on a road game. Um, yeah. What about you? Well, I mean, obviously, I think when you talk about playing the Rams, the first thing that comes to mind is playing potential MVP Todd Gurley. Um, go dogs. I love Todd Gurley. Uh, it kind of sucks that we have to root against him this week. But uh, the Falcons themselves have just been one of those inconsistent, hence the name of our titles, uh, inconsistent teams all year long. And they've been so up and down, starting off 3-0, and looking incredible against the Packers in Week 2 in primetime football, barely winning against the Lions, even though we played pretty well in that game, and then losing three straight, I believe, to the Bills, the Dolphins, and then the, the Patriots, obviously, which was just a disaster. Mm -hmm. But so many inconsistent games, so many weird losses. The offense has never really clicked. There's been a few games that we've been able to dominate, such as that Packers game, such as the Cowboys game where Adrian Claiborne turned into the next Reggie White. For yeah, what do you game. have, like eight sacks? Six. Okay. Six, but close. I mean, it could you could Still. have told me 12 in that game, and I would have probably believed you. But it's one of those things where you just don't really know what Falcons team you're getting, and you never have. Um, we have all the talent in the world. I still believe we might be the most talented NFC team. The defense um, has been ranked top 10. It's actually weird. We're one of the few teams in the NFL that's ranked both top 10 in offense and defense. So as inconsistent as we've been um, – we've still been at the top in both categories all year. So we have the talent, we have the potential, just are they going to play up to it on the road? It's an outdoor game, which Matt Ryan usually isn't as good in, um, you know, but I do feel like the Falcons feel doubted. They feel slighted. And usually that's a good sign for a football team. I'd rather have that than, you know, um, unless you're the Patriots, of course, because they just, they find regardless, but I'd rather have a football team that feels doubted, such as Alabama this past week, Clemson, um, than I would against the team that comes in and expects to win. But it's just been a weird year overall. Coming off the Super Bowl, everybody talked about it every single game. You couldn't get away from the Patriots, 28-3, all of that crap. Uh, and to, to make it to the playoffs, to be the only NFC team uh, from last year that ended up making it back into the playoffs this year, um, it's impressive to me. I'm proud of the resilience they had. I think um, they've had to fight back from a lot. 
And I'm glad we make it. I heard some fans saying that they didn't think they should be in the playoffs, uh, that they they were hoping we would lose the last game so we could just go ahead and make some changes on the staff and, and fix the things we need to fix. I disagree. I think you got to give yourself a chance anytime you have a uh, – because you, you never know. I've seen six seeds make it to the Super Bowl before. Um, and so I would much rather give this talented team a chance to see where we can really go. And if we say, you know, say we win and we go on the road, play in Minnesota – in a dome against Case Keenum, we could potentially win that game. Say we go and play on the road against Philadelphia, against Nick Foles, we could potentially win that game. You just never know. You got to give yourself a chance. So, um, been a weird year. I don't. I think both of us are saying essentially though that we don't know how to feel about the Falcons right now, and it's kind of a wait and see for Saturday. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you just don't know which team is going to show up. And I mean, I think if you know the the better team shows up, I mean, I I I, I like us in almost every single matchup. Um, and, you know, yeah. I, I feel like the way the NFL playoffs work pretty much every year, unless, the, you know, the the undisputed best team in the league kind of runs through everyone, which does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the team that ends up winning a lot of the times is like, you know, the sixth seed that just gets hot at the right time. So I definitely don't think that we're by any means totally out of it and don't have a chance. I think we're I think we're in I think we're in a good spot. Um, I don't really. The thing is, I don't think any of the NFC teams are dominant. None of them, at least to no. me. Um so I mean, I feel good about really any of the matchups we get. Um, is it is it safe to say though that you, from our Atlanta sports history and UGA history, uh, you're not super happy when your team's favored in a game, or at least I'm not. I like it more when they're the underdog. <laughs> well, I mean, expecting an Atlanta team to win even if they're favored is you the best uh, idea because usually you're going to be let down one way or another. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I agree. I would, I would probably rather be the underdog, and and, and that's definitely going to be the case this weekend i think we're like a five or six point underdog um so yeah I, and we also got to know you know i don't know i know we just put andy levitri on the ir so ben garland's been playing really well the past couple weeks though so maybe that won't hurt us too much taylor gabriel left the game last week I don't know whether he's going to play although we haven't been able to use him as well as we did last year he's been very inconsistent he was great um, last year he was great last year but i think sark is his steve sarkisian our offensive coordinator he's he's really struggled to kind of figure out how to implement him into the offense um, and work him around Sanu and, and Julio. So, um, you know, even if Justin Hardy, who's been playing more, if he has to be a wide receiver, I think he almost fits better in what Sark has been trying to do. So maybe that's okay as well. Um, again, we just have to see. But but really it's going to come down to how well can the defense stop the run game of Todd Gurley? Can can we have anybody that can tackle him? Because he's been unstoppable all year long. Um, and if we can, then, then I, th- I give our offense a chance in this game. But we just have to play sound football. Um, we can't make stupid mistakes. Matt Ryan can't have a, a three turnover game where, you know, two of them come off tip passes again like he's had just about all year long. I think he leads the NFL in interceptions off tip passes, which is ridiculous. Not surprised. Balls. No, it's, it's just our luck. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think the Falcons have a chance to win this game. Do we expect them to? I, I don't know what we expect because we haven't known what to expect all year long, and that's kind of how we're feeling um, going into this game. And I'm sure we'll have uh, more in-depth reaction to it after um, Saturday and just be able to kind of give you a better thought process. I'll, like, I'll know more about whether I think we can actually win the Super Bowl this year based off this game. Um, obviously, if we lose, I'm going to go ahead and say we can't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> but if we win and how we win is going to determine a lot about our chances going the rest of the way. So um we'll kind of table this discussion for now and and leave it till after saturday let's go ahead and move on to uh let's go ahead and move on to the hawks hawks are a team that uh made the playoffs 10 straight years um they won't this year no 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 we won't in case you haven't been watching the atlanta hawks they are they are quite bad uh we we, i saw a stat you're gonna laugh at this because i don't think i've I've sent you this stat yet (laughs) they played the phoenix suns last night they lost by one point here's what happened 
They were up by double digits, 10 points, with under three minutes to go. In that situation, over the past 20 years, the Atlanta Hawks were 400-0. and 400-0 and zero over the last 20 years. Guess what happened last night? We are now 401. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. It's some, yeah, it, I think it was ESPN Stats and Info tweeted it, or, or it was one of those statistics. Actually, yeah, it's, to be honest, though, the fact that there were 400-0, and 0, not blowing a 10-point lead in three minutes, is actually kind of impressive, though. I was amazed by I, that, too. As bad as the Hawks have been, our history, that's, I was that's like, kind of unbelievable. 400 games, we've never blown that? In, but, of course, this would be I mean, the team that does. Better but. teams than us, I feel like, have probably blown a 10-point lead in three minutes. Completely agree. I mean, it's probably uh, just completely random. And we how many how many teams have the Warriors probably done that two single handedly? Yeah, I mean Steph Curry has probably done that by himself. All it takes right. is four shots. So. <laughs> he hits a couple threes, and now the game's over. Not yeah. hard. Yeah, I, I'm amazed that it hasn't happened to us. But that streak is over, as well as our playoff streak mm -hmm. this year. Uh, we currently have the worst record in the NBA, um, heading for at least the top three pick, more than likely, because um, of the lottery. You never really know where you're going to fall, but um, I gotta say, I'm still sort of encouraged by where the Hawks are at. I know you haven't watched them as much a ton this year. It's it's been harder for Atlanta fans to watch the Hawks and the Braves because we've been half rooting for them to lose just to get higher draft picks, and that tends to not make you want to watch teams sometimes. Um, but John Collins, our, our first round draft pick this past year, we got him in the teens and ended up being a great pick. Uh, Torian Prince just had a 30 point game recently. He's nice. playing pretty well. Dennis Schroeder, uh, I don't know how much of our future long-term plans he is a part of, but he's played well as a scoring guard this year. I wish we had a little bit more facilitator. Um, but we have some pieces there. DeAndre Bembry is still a player I like. He hasn't really come on yet. He's still trying to get some work in the G League. Um, but there's there's pieces there that I like. And, and you know, if you combine all that with a, a top pick next year, um, I don't know. How are you feeling about the Hawks right now? Well, the, the problem with the Hawks for me is it's just been really hard for me to get excited. Even the year we went 16-22, it's like there was still a part of me that felt like we were going to lose. Um, and and I hate to I hate to be because it's kind of this can be might be kind of a polarizing topic for a lot of people, but I hate to be under the mindset that you need a superstar to win. But I'm 100 percent convinced of that at this point. Um, yeah, I mean to win it all, anyways. So you know, to me, again, back to the title. They've been so mediocre or maybe a little bit above average for so long outside of that 60 and 22 year. That was, that was a great team, but um, you know, they've, they've been so just barely above average for so long at this point, I'm totally fine and accept them being terrible for a few years to hopefully turn it around and get a fantastic product. Um, and the guys that we do have, I mean, like you said, I haven't watched them a ton this year, but I'm, I am f very familiar with the roster. I'm, I'm, you know, John Collins, like all I remember seeing from this, from the preseason, early parts of the season was him dunking on people. I mean, he just seems... He still does that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I figured. I mean, he just seems electric. He seems awesome. And I was reading an article, too, that was saying that he might be one of the, uh, like, steals. At, and any pick during the draft that just happened this year, he was one of the ones they considered a steal. Yeah. So I completely agree. He would be a top 10 pick if they redrafted it right now. He might be a top five pick i'm not sure but uh, you know i think um looking at this team obviously they're the epitome of of the title of us right consistently mediocre the hawks have made the playoffs 10 straight years only team that's made it longer is the san antonio spurs except they have what five championships under popovich and we have uh, a few more than one <laughs> east yeah just a few more <laughs> we have uh one eastern conference final we don't even have an eastern conference finals win that's how mediocre we are to make the playoffs 10 straight years I mean, I mean, this is just what Atlanta sports is, people. I mean, like the the Braves. The Braves. There you go. Fourteen straight division titles, and we win one World Series. 
the Hawks, 10 straight years of playoff runs. We have zero Eastern Conference Finals wins. Forget the NBA Finals. It's just who we are. It's what we expect. So I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad that we finally – there were some things I, I wish we'd been able to do differently in the offseason. I wish we'd been able to get something for Paul Millsap. I wish we'd been I able agree. to get something for, for Al Horford instead of just letting these guys go. And it would have, I think, sped up the rebuild. But – being able to have the draft pick that we have now, and we have a, a couple uh, first-round draft picks. The only one that's going to be uh, in the top of the draft is ours, though. Um, and to be able to get a potential franchise changer, because this draft is pretty loaded, and, and we'll mm -hmm. go over the mock draft, I think, at some point soon and maybe talk about you know who we want the Hawks to gift, uh, get out of college basketball this year, out of some of the European players that are coming over. Um, but there's a lot of talent, and I'm, I'm just going to say now, I'll give you a preview. DeAndre Ayton out of Arizona, he's my pick right now. Somehow he really? falls to us. Yes, that guy is incredible. He's he's either the next Joel Embiid or Wilt Chamberlain. I'm not sure, uh, but the guy he, he just moves so well for his size. He's got a jumper. I think he'll be able to expand that out into three point range. Um, man, I, I just love his size. I love the way he moves, uh, and I think he can be a force on both ends. So right now he's my pick. I know Trey Young. I know Marvin Bagley. I know Luka Doncic um, have been getting all the praise and the hype lately, but. But that's my guy right now is DeAndre Ayton. So, but I think we're going to go probably more in depth later and, and maybe give you a little bit of a preview since we can't really talk too much Hawks as far as from a game to game standpoint because they're kind of always bad right now. Um, probably give you more a little bit of a preview of next year and who we might want to draft. Um, Darko Milicic so, 2.0. <laughs> don't. Uh, I, it, that, you know what's scary about that is, is there's so many times when I want, want to draft a European player because I know they're so good. And then but, you think about Darko Milicic. Well, I think about Darko, but I also think about like even mediocre players. Like there's this guy. That's so true. look, so Luka Doncic, he's six eight. He can play point. He can dribble. He can shoot. He can pass. He can do all these things. Great player. He's really young. I think he's only 18, 19 years old. I don't remember his exact age. But there's a part of me that goes, "What's the difference between him and like Rudy Fernandez?" Like the guy was like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's there's not much. What's the difference? Are you even a Manu Ginobili wasn't a franchise changing player? He was a franchise changing player because he was able to play on championship teams. He was, Tony a, he Parker, was a cog in that wheel. He was not the he, best absolutely. player on that team. No, no, no. Listen, Manu Ginobili is going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he wasn't the reason that the Spurs franchise changed. And if you're looking for a, a top number one pick, you're looking for that superstar that's like, going to be able to carry Dirk you. Nowitzki. I mean, even, like, even Dirk. a Porzingis. I mean... Potentially, Potentially, yeah, Porzingis. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how what the Knicks fans are hoping right now. But yeah, Good. but how often are you going to get a guy like that? And it's just so hard for me, especially wing players. I mean, Mario Hazonia for for the Magic got drafted, I think, fifth overall a couple years back. I'm like a bust now. Yeah, exactly. And he can't really. He's not the guy they thought he was going to be. So, uh, especially wing guards, it's just hard for me to to kind of figure out um, when they're coming over from Europe right now. But from everyone I've seen, I mean, obviously. That many basketball minds respect think Doncic is good, then then I'm not going to out them at this point. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll give you our thoughts more on the draft later on, and uh, and kind of see the Hawks stand as far as their position within the draft. But um, so let's go ahead and and, and final thoughts on. Oh, oh uh, we skipping the Braves, huh? No, 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 no. Skipping the Braves. We're not skipping. I know, I know that's your sport. We're not skipping the Braves. <laughs> We're not skipping the Braves. I was just gonna say final thoughts on. Um, the Braves and Atlanta United. We'll just kind of combine them. That's fair. It's both, of, it's both of their off seasons. Not much so, going on. Yeah, exactly. So just kind of give your thoughts on where they stand. This is the first one. People haven't really heard us before. So we just kind of want to be able to um, explain where we feel about these teams, where they're at. And uh, obviously we'll get more in depth the more news that starts to come out about them. Yeah, so, well, I'll start with the Braves just because um, I pay a little bit more attention to European soccer than I do actually in Atlanta. But um, I've always loved the Braves. They've always been probably my favorite Atlanta team. Um, 
and speaking of mediocre, that's anyways. Um, it's just yeah. it's it's. I'm ex- I'm optimistic. I'm excited, and at the same time, I'm extremely reserved because it's kind of like it's kind of like with Georgia football now, where until up until you I actually see them win something, it's going to be hard for me to really feel confident about them moving forward. Even if they even when they hit the reset button or whatever superstars or whatever prospects they pull up. Until I see them actually do something, it's going to be hard for me. And now that we've lost Kevin Maitan, one of our top prospects, due to some sketchiness on our management's part, um, it's got me a little bit down. Um, I know we've still got a ton of talent. I know we've still probably got the first or second best farm system in, in baseball right now. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, Dansby Swanson was kind of pretty underwhelming this past season, which, um, you know, Al, now Albies was extremely surprising. I mean, he started off really slow, and then he just killed it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I really want to see a lot of this talent start trickling in and making an impact. And I know it's hard, um, with some of these guys being straight out of high school and it taking maybe three, four years in the minors. But, um, just to me, it feels like a rebuild in baseball just can take so much longer sometimes than, yeah. Well, because they don't, you know, come straight up to the majors. And so right. It feels, and I'll say this, uh, I think the Braves rebuild is one that I agreed with. I, I was excited about all the prospects we were getting. Um, I thought John Coppola made a lot of, of solid trades. Um, the ones that were legal at least. And, uh, and, you know, I thought he put us in position to have a really solid minor league system. There's a reason for the past two or three years, I think we've had the number one ranked minor league system in the majors. Um, And there's a lot of prospects that can really help our team in the future. I mean, Ronald Acuna, my gosh, that guy is going to be, he's going to be a freaking stud and you combine him with, I think Dansby did start to get it together a little bit towards the end of the year. I think Ozzy's going to be good. Um, We obviously have a superstar in Freddie Freeman at first base already. So you start to get some of the. I think the biggest question is: Are some of these pitching prospects going to turn into the superstars that we exactly. expect? Whether it's a, whether it's a Sean Newcomb, whether it's a Luis Gohara, whether it's you know any of these guys that are are kind of under the radar right now that maybe uh, haven't come up yet or haven't really been seen as much. Lucas Sims, I, I don't know any of these guys. Um, there's a lot more that I'm not naming because we have about 20 different pitching prospects that haven't played yet. We so. can always pull up the list and read them off, but no, <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have we don't have another hour. In the podcast, <laughs> yeah, no. so. But there's so many guys that, that I think we're still just waiting to see. But I am encouraged um, by the direction we're heading. Even if last year was a little bit frustrating and, and we felt like maybe we should have won a few more games than we did, um, I still feel like there's a lot of young talent that, that's – I mean, look, we, we've built the same – that's kind of the, the trend of the MLB right now, right? The, the Royals, the Cubs, um, the Mets when they had their good year. All these teams have kind of built up through yeah. the draft, through trades like this. The Indians, of, the Astros. I mean, Indians, Astros. Thank you. I was trying to think of the past uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. year's World Series winner. But all of these teams that have built up through the draft, built up through prospects, and, and been able to make the right trades at the right time and not spend too much money on these superstar prospects um, until they're already on their roster. So I think the Braves are doing the right thing. They're following the blueprint that every other team has followed to be successful in the majors right now. It just takes a matter of time. And hopeful for Braves fans and just the sake of Atlanta sports as a whole that we're at least able to see some of that right now and that that's going to be uh, a part of next year that we're able to see some of these prospects start to pan out I do have a story for you um, oh okay story Braves time? story Braves story time Braves related story time you're gonna like this I don't know if I've told you this yet so um, I'm having a meeting I'm not gonna say at which church um, but we're having a meeting with some of my um, fellow co-workers I work for uh, FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes right now and um, we're having a, a meeting at this church and, uh, there's a bunch of paper. We're meeting in this rec area and there's a bunch of papers, not ours that just, I, I guess some previous rec staff had left them on the table. And, uh, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm zoning out as most people do in meetings. And I, I'm looking at the, the table and, uh, I look down 
And it's a table of, of rosters for this youth basketball league um, at this church. And uh, one of the names I see under the coaches uh, would be none other than John Coppolella. Really? And I think to myself, that name sounds familiar. That's the same guy that just got fired by the Braves, isn't it? This is just after he got fired, like the week after maybe. Midlife crisis. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm looking at it, and I literally, I turn to my boss and I stop the meeting. I go, look, man, this may be ADD. But isn't that the guy that just got fired by the Braves? And he looks at the paper. He goes, oh, my gosh, it is. And then we had proceeded to have a discussion on what John Coppolella's life was looking at because – all of a sudden, he has now went from the general manager of the Braves to the coach of a youth basketball league. It's the same guy. We checked. Same guy. And, you know, I don't want to call the guy out or anything, but youth basketball league, coach, man, that's where you went? Also, isn't it a little awkward to be around a bunch of other Braves fans right now? Like, I'm like you're still living in the area? Like, oh, that's, it's uh, just a little weird. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. I'm just saying. I mean. Midlife crisis. Instead of buying a sports car, I decided to coach youth basketball. <laughs> he just he couldn't get he couldn't get away from roster. You know? he's, he's like he's talking to himself in the mirror. But John, you were so good at it. <laughs> it. It was also really weird. I looked at the roster. He had like ten players from the Dominican Republic on it. I don't know how he got them, but <laughs> that church's international signing pool. Exactly. I don't know what happened, but uh, there may be an investigation soon. That's all I'm saying. So. Uh, so yeah, it's just a little story time. I figured you enjoy that. I did. I did. I appreciate that. So, uh, and I just want to finish this off by kind of giving our state of the Atlanta address, um, with Atlanta United. First of all, um, I'm going to get Alan on the, ba on the bandwagon. Um, we're going to get him to start watching more games. It's kind of, um, it's, I realize it's a little bit harder to get involved with the MLS, but the people that are involved already with Atlanta United, obviously they're diehard. They're setting records left and right. 70,000 plus at, at stadium events and that games. Impressive. It's super impressive. And we just got. Darlington Nagby, Nagby, who really? Uh, came, yes, we did. From the I know him from FIFA. There you go. He plays FIFA, and uh, <laughs> and starter for the U.S. national team now on Atlanta United, adding to already potent attack with Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez, um, and there's rumors that we could be getting some other young prospects as well. So all I'm saying is that I feel extremely. Uh, excited about next year for Atlanta United, and we're going to get more into that um, later on. We're not going to get super in-depth in that conversation right now. Um, but look, it, it's it's an exciting time to be an Atlanta sports fan. That's all I'll say. After, after we've gone through all these teams, I truly believe that uh, there's not many more opportunities for Atlanta sports. I, I realize Georgia's playing in the national championship on Monday. I realize Falcons are playing in the playoffs on Saturday. But I'm just talking about from a young uh, future standpoint the Hawks and Braves both are in rebuilding years yes they are but they're in good rebuilding situations right now with young talent with uh, potential ability to get better in the future years and Atlanta United as well has a lot of young talent they you know providing they don't sell off this talent they could be good for years to come so um, are you kind of in the same vibe that I am that this is an exciting time to be an Atlanta sports fan no, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, yeah, I, like you said, I, I did watch a few of the Atlanta United games this year. I didn't watch as many of them as you probably did. Um, I spent, I did, I spent a lot more time watching Bayern Munich and some of the other Europe, like some of the uh, Premier League teams. But um, it just seems, it does seem like Atlanta has a lot to be excited about right now. But I mean, especially, I mean, Atlanta United, there's, it brought so much excitement to the city. There's so many, I mean, so many, so many, so many. Uh, yeah. fans and people that are already diehard supporters of them. I mean, it just it hit a whole segment of our town that was not, you know, that had that had nothing to cheer for in this area. 
Um, and it turns out there's a way bigger fan base for soccer in Atlanta than I ever thought there would be. Um, yeah, I mean, like you know, with UGA being successful, the Braves trying to rebuild, Hawks are building, the Falcons in the Super Bowl in the playoffs, it really does feel like if you're ever going to cheer for Atlanta sports, this is probably a good time to do it. Uh, we've had past disappointment, but right now, moving forward, there's a ton of stuff to be excited about. Well, and, and look, the, the reason we're starting this podcast now is because we hope that the, the more weeks we're able to record, um, the, every episode, we're hoping we're going to get farther and farther away from title of this podcast is we hope we're going to be consistently great instead of mediocre and that you're going to be able to take that journey with us hopefully and, and that um, we're going to be able to discuss these things as they're happening so we're not just getting into the you know podcast game when we've won three championships we're you know we're, all of a sudden we're boston and, and every team's got a championship hey, you know we started it now the proof is going to be here that we <laughs> listen we're staking our roots now we're telling you now we're fans and that we are uh here to stay and that we really want um to see this thing through as far as where all these journeys are going with these teams. We're excited. There's a lot to talk about with each of these teams, um, which that wasn't the case a few years ago, you know, with some of the Hawks and Falcons teams just kind of felt like they were in the middle of nowhere and going anywhere. Didn't have a lot of young talent, had a lot of problems. Uh, now there's actually journeys that we're going to be able to follow with some of these teams. Um, so we are getting uh, pretty late in this podcast and um, uh, a couple things that we want to finish out with first um, we'll probably try and make this a little bit shorter since we've gone so long already, but we like to um, do a little segment where it's still being, uh, the title is still under construction of this se segment. We don't, we came up with a couple of uh, really cheesy titles and, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant. Yeah, I'm hesitant. Dangerously to cheesy. You may not actually, that, that was one of them. That was pretty bad. That wasn't one of the titles. Dangerously <laughs> cheesy. That might not be bad though. <laughs> um, we'll have some copyright infringements from Cheetos. If we get to, is that what their slogan is? <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen the tiger guy get on there with the glasses. It says dangerous. I'm eating Cheetos, man. I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I kind of tune those commercials out. I'll be honest. Maybe I need to start paying more attention to my slogan. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what uh, copyrights I've already offended? You know, maybe I'm just, I probably owe a lot in legal fees right now. I'm just not paying attention to commercials. Um, but we, we want to do this segment where we each have our own personal choice of something that we're able to talk about because there's obviously a lot of, you know, overall segments that we could talk about as far as big teams and, and big, big time players. But um, we want to get a little more in depth in the segment to show our passions for Atlanta sports. So, uh, Alan, if you want to go ahead and, and man, what is the thing that you want to talk about really quickly um, that maybe we haven't covered yet? Oh, man. Um, well... We kind of covered everything I wanted to talk about. Um, actually, you know no, what? We've already talked. We talked about doing this segment. I'm ready for this? What did I say I was going to talk about? I don't remember. I thought you had something ready. <laughs> well, okay. you know what? I figured. I figured we said okay. We're going to do this. Okay, cool. Man, you. We got it. Like well, my MVPs for the week. I was going to pick Sony Michelle. We covered that in detail. Kirby Smart. We talked about. I can't talk about George anymore. I can't do it. We've hit that. You can. We can always talk more okay, about Georgia. I know, three I know days you to the can. National Five days to the National Championship. So we can always talk about more about Jordan. You don't have to have anything. I just thought we were prepared for you that. You know what? I'm gonna, instead of that, I'm going to It's a terrible podcast. People don't even think we know what we're talking about right now. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to, instead of that, I have a fun fact. Oh, okay. That, that you're going to be underwhelmed by. But I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so it's not that fun. No, it's a fun fact. So, okay. Darlington Nagby, this got me, this got my brain remembering FIFA days and all these things. You didn't even know he's on Atlanta United. Now you have a fun fact about him. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, anyways, all right. Back when I used to play FIFA, they had this mode called Ultimate Team that I think you remember me talking. Remember oh, playing, gosh, right? yes. 
Mm -hmm. So back in the day, obviously he was still in the MLS, but I always tried to make a team with all United States players, and I could not figure out why his nationality wasn't United States because I could have sworn the flag was the United States flag. Oh, Come no. to find out, Liberia has an extremely similar flag. <laughs> Instead of 50 stars, it has one big one in the middle. <laughs> so I always thought he was born, his nationality was the United States. No, it was Liberia. Look at their flag. Well, he does play for the U.S. national team, to be fair. But well, maybe they changed. I guess it technically then. his 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 maybe his, his ancestry is from Liberia. But my 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 first question is, did you not see just because it's not like it's one tiny star in the corner? It's a giant star. Well, the thing about when you're playing FIFA though, like the, it's probably the size of like my pinky nail on the screen. You know, like you're not really looking at it that hard. You see red, white, and I blue. Guess that's and, true. It's similar. That's it's similar true. enough to where you don't really look into the detail until you realize something's going on. Yeah. Have you ever heard a more fun fact in your life, Ryan? <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard more disappointing facts in my life. The guy got one star mixed up with 50. That's <laughs> All right, that's fair. Well, I'm glad you were at least prepared with, with some fact, even though you completely disregarded the whole segment that we talked about previously this podcast started. But um, gotcha, there's one gotcha, thing buddy. I want to talk about. Can I, can I talk about something? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Sweet. There's one thing I want to talk about. You want to guess what team it's on? Hmm. Is it going to be Georgia? It's going to be Georgia. Yeah, it's going to no. be Georgia. Because Shocker. You want to know why? Because we're in the freaking national championship on Monday. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about them. Listen, the guy I want to talk about, Roquan Smith, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, Jake Fromm, they get all the love, deservedly so. They're incredible players. Someone who has stepped up this year and has been ridiculously incredible, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, Javon Wims. Mm. That guy... He's made some of the most incredible catches this season. And there's so many players in, in Atlanta sports that I feel like are truly underrated. And so I like to highlight some of these guys sometimes um, because they don't get necessarily the ESPN national TV love. Uh, and especially when you're going up against an Alabama team next week that has a, has a Calvin Ridley. Uh, you're not going to get guys like that. We even have his little brother on Georgia's team right now, which is, you know, he probably gets more recognition sometimes than Javon does. But man, that guy has turned himself into a true NFL prospect. He's been able to high point the ball. Anytime that back shoulder throw has been made by Fromm, he's right there. He didn't make the catch um, in, in two days ago in, in the game uh, against Oklahoma, but I don't know why I struggled to remember what day it was. It was two days ago. Um, All running together. It's a blur. It really is this week. Uh, but, man, he's just been incredible, and I just want to give him a shout-out because there were incredible catches that were key catches. I remember there was one against Florida that I think put us up 14 to nothing that he made. Um, that was big time in, in securing the momentum for us. There's been just multiple catches all game long. Tennessee, he had a big catch on a back shoulder throw, a jump ball. Um, so many times this year in which he's been able to app state the first touchdown of Jake Fromm's career was a, a where he caught it in between like three different guys and then was able to reach across the goal line. Um, so, so I just want to give him a shout out. I want to give the Georgia team a shout out because I'm, I'm not going to stop talking about them for the next five days and won't even be recording podcasts. I'm just going to continuously keep talking about them and each of their players as time goes on. Um, and I'm just really excited. I, listen, I should be. It's the first time ever we're in the national championship. Uh, I'm just really excited about this team and, and where we're heading. Not just now. I mean, look, if we lose, I'll be devastated, obviously, to Alabama because we've gotten this far. But the position we're in and the recruiting classes we're getting and the future we have and, and the, the coaching uh, ability of Kirby Smart and his staff is just really something that, that excites me for years to come. So, um, yes, I talked about George. Are you happy? Yeah, I could, I could not have guessed that in a million years. Um, uh, no. Speaking of which, this is a, something I thought was interesting about the Saban-Smart matchup. You had your turn. 
Oh, all right. Well, in that case, we're gonna wrap up. <laughs> no, I was gonna. I'm just gonna say. Uh, you know, they showed a stat that Saban was 11 and 0 against former assistants. And then I started I thinking about it, and I feel like Kirby Smart is such a better coach than who? Will Muschamp. Uh, well, Will Muschamp, Joe McElwain. McElwain. Jimbo Fisher. Guys like he never, that. He never actually played against Kiffin, did he? Because no. Uh, no, I, no, I don't no, believe so, no. no. I mean, there have been a few different ones. And, and uh, you know, what I would say to that is and actually himself uh, this question in an interview recently. Um, I think it was yesterday because it's only been one day between the last game and today. But uh, Nick essentially said, look, we had very different teams than what those coaches had. And basically just saying, and there's no lie in what he said, mm. our teams were better. That's true. And that is true. The, a lot of these, a lot of these assistant coaches have been going into rebuilding situations where they've had to rebuild rosters. They've had to um, against Alabama and try and pull players away from where Bama is getting them, and um, and they haven't been quite as successful. Look, does that mean I'm saying they're, they're similar coaches as Nick Saban? No, I'm not. I still think Nick Saban's the best coach in the country. But I, I do think w what Nick is trying to say is that it's not necessarily coaches. It's just because they had worse teams. Yeah, you're not really comparing apples and apples per se. Yeah, you're not. They, they're going if they're going into rebuilding situations, then they're just not. I mean, look, Nick is going to be successful wherever he. No question about that. Um, it doesn't matter who he's playing, but when you have that much more talent, there's that much, there's that big account, a talent gap and disparity. Of course, you're going to win the majority of those games. Yes. He's 11 and zero. that I guess is a little bit surprising, but really it's not when you consider Alabama. He's probably 11 and zero against a majority of. Very good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point too. So I, you know, I do think man doesn't lose know, much. No. Well, and I think, you know, people have said that in response to, well, can Kirby smart beat Nick Saban? the thing I would respond with is this may be the best team he's ever played that one of his assistants has had. So, I mean, has he played as, as Jimbo uh, and maybe, maybe when Jimbo won the national title, but they didn't play Alabama, you know, with Jim McElwain at Florida, did they ever have a, a similar team like that? No. Um, you know, so Jeremy Pruitt will play them next year, but they won't have a, a, that good a team at Tennessee for sure. So it, it's just a different level and this will be the best team he's played so far as an assistant. Um, you know, I could get into a lot more reasons why I think Georgia can win that game, but one of the reasons that I, I think Georgia is is not fearful of losing is not because Kirby used to be Nick Saban's assistant. In fact, if anything, that gives Kirby an advantage because he coached this defense two years ago and knows most of the players um, that were recruited there. So, um, and even if he doesn't hadn't personally coached them, I guarantee you have probably had a hand in recruiting some of them, at one point or another. He probably knows just about every player on that defense and what they're capable. Of. Again, not saying that's I don't I don't think either one of those reasons is going to be the reasons why Georgia wins or Alabama wins. Uh, I think it's kind of a non-factor on both sides, but. Agreed. I think you could say it's an advantage for both. So, um, but I, that is a good point. And I think it's interesting that everybody's talking about that right now. So, um, so I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We, we're going a lot longer than we anticipated originally. Normally we plan to go on 30, 40 minutes or so. Um, but Hey, you know, first podcast, we're a little excited. We, we just found out Georgia's going to the national championship. You know, we wanted to be able to share that excitement with you. Um, so as we wrap up, um, is there any teams we like to kind of do this? Are, are there any bandwagon teams um, that you're liking? We call this the bandwagon segment where uh, outside of Atlanta that you've been kind of entertained by this year that you're kind of looking forward to watching in the coming week. Is there any team like that for you right now? Well, honestly, I mean, before the uh, before the bowl games, it would have been Clemson. I've always kind of just pulled for Clemson as an outside team. Um, I yeah. love Dabo Sweeney. Um, I mean, they looked really bad in the Alabama game. They did. Um, yes, they did. So I guess I guess now that they're out, I will not make them my bandwagon team. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a team for the NFL. Okay. Um, and going a little under the radar, I'm actually gonna go with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And okay, 
if you were to remove Blake Bortles. So this kind of okay, I can't do that. I'm picking the Jags, but I hate Blake Bortles. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm picking the team, but I'm taking out their quarterbacks. So, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, well, football. I just think I just think that their you know their their defense has been great all season uh, for the most part and fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and they've got such a good running game. Um, I mean, the really only the the only weak link on the entire team is is at the quarterback position. Um, and in and in a division where I really don't think there's any clear favorites in any matchup. Uh, I'm just going a little under the radar and picking the Jags. I like them. Fair enough. No, I get that. I'm glad you didn't pick Clemson because usually the uh, rule of being a bandwagon fan is you don't pick a team that's already lost. Yeah. You know, really if you're going to bandwagon, then bandwagon a team that has a chance of winning. Right. right. It's usually the, rule, uh, so the clarification. Just, just letting you know. I, th I thought you were going to pick Clemson there for a second. I was like, no, that's why I had to, I had to jump off the, off the wagon because it was going off right, a cliff. Good. Uh, that's, listen, they really did. That was, jeez, that was terrible. That was awful. I mean, poor Kelly Bryant. You know, everybody's he comparing him to Sean Watson. Yeah, that's – no, not many people had their rep take a harder hit than him. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say this quickly. I think for me, my team right now that I, I'm kind of liking, and I realize they're in the NFC, same uh, conference as the Falcons, but the Minnesota Vikings. I just love the story of Case Keenum. Um, I love how hard he's fought. He's been a backup for his whole career. All of a sudden, because Bradford gets hurt and Bridgewater hasn't been healthy yet, he gets a chance to play. And he's led this team very consistently to – it's not like he's just been game managing and and – I mean, in a sense, I guess some people might say he has, but he's been a part of their wins and he's been a part of their victories. And um, being able to throw to guys like uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen obviously helps. Um, but it, it's a fun offense to watch. Uh, and, and I just love the way he plays, the toughness he plays with. Um, and, and the defense is under Mike Zimmer is incredible on that team. So um, if I had to pick a team that besides the Falcons I'm rooting for this year, um, it's probably the Minnesota Vikings. And, uh, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, you know, actually, uh, now that you say that, so my two fantasy quarterbacks all season had been Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins. Here we go. We're going to get to your fantasy team. <sighs> well, I mean, well, it, it's relevant. Uh, I okay. picked up Case Keenum about halfway through the season as a third quarterback one week when uh, – uh, Cousins and Ryan were both sitting, and he played okay. really well. And that was—I kind of started paying attention to him the rest of the season after that. Because, which ironically is kind of the story of his career, right? Like you had two other quarterbacks, and they well, both actually, went down or had bye weeks. It's a very good point. Hey, here comes Case Keenum, constant third string. But hey, he succeeds. But there—I mean—but for the rest of the season, there were so many weeks where he outperformed Cousins and Ryan, which is you know, it's something impressive in and of itself. I mean. Matt Ryan, yeah. obviously, last year being an MVP winner. Kirk Cousins being a talented quarterback, probably a you know recognized as a more talented quarterback than Case Keenum traditionally. Um, For sure, you know, he, I don't know. He played very well. Yeah, no, I agree. So um, those are two teams that, that you're going to be watching out for. One team that you're watching out for this week is Clemson because they are not in the national championship. We will you know who not is, be though? watching them. You know who is though? Bama. Well, yes, they are too. But Georgia. <laughs> Is also going to be playing them. Oh, oh. Monday night. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Oh, I was about. wondering why we spent so much time talking about them today. Just in case you didn't know, Georgia's in the national championship. Um, so, listen, we are going to wrap this up. Uh, thanks for listening to Consistently Mediocre. We have zero sponsors yet, but if anybody wants to sponsor us out there, feel free to contact I can, us. I can very easily start setting a Diet Coke in front of the camera. You could. This podcast doesn't have video yet, but, you know, if you wanted to do that just for our own personal Feelings so we, we feel sponsored. sponsored. We feel sponsored. Listen, it's all about the emotions of the podcast. All right. If we feel more confident because we're sponsored, we're going to be able to speak better. I think that's just how it works. But truth. <laughs> Back. So we're, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, 
Georgia Tech, sorry, we will uh, get to you next week. We ran out of time thinking about mm. talking about you. God, I had so uh, much to say about them too. I know, so much to say. Wow. I mean, we've been almost like two months since we even see them play. So um, but there's just a lot of news that we what? can talk about. We'll get to them next week. We'll get to them next week. Um, so for uh, Alan Perry and myself, my name is Ryan. Uh, We're going to be signing off. Thanks so much for listening to Consistently Mediocre and Atlanta Sports Podcast.